The Startup to Scale-Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. Gareth Capon is the CEO and founder at Grabio, a uh, cloud-based video platform with a disruptive market offering and a unique view on fundraising for tech startups. Grabio work with uh, over 70 premium broadcasters, sports properties and publishers like Fox Sports, Premier League, FC Barcelona, BT Sport and Sky. So Gareth, welcome to this week's show. Thank you, Gary. Let's begin with your view of fundraising. This is something that really fascinates me. You went out to raise money by bringing the likes of Thierry Henry, Cesc Fabregas. Those are two of the most famous soccer players to have come through the uh, Arsenal Football Club catalogue, shall we say, and also the basketball star, Tony Parker. These are some examples of high-profile individuals who funded your business. Why did you go down that route? And, and also, how did you get in, intros to these uh, sports stars? Yeah, it's definitely not the um, the most common cap table for your seed round. And you can add uh, add Robin Van, Van Persie to that list too, as ex-Arsenal and, and Man United captain, who was also part of that initial funding round. So we, when we were building Grabio, we sort of launched the company back in the, uh, I saw from back in the sort of start of, end of 2013, early 2014. We wanted to go out and raise a relatively small seed round, maybe you know half a million pounds or so to, to fund the business and get it going. We knew that we were going to be building out a cloud video platform. You know, the, the big focus for our for our business at that time was about allowing enterprises to share clips of uh, of TV on social media. So, you know, sport was a big part of that. What we worked with ITV around the uh, around the World Cup back in 2014, so getting clips of you know World Cup goals on on social media on Twitter at that point for the first time. It was all very new. And talking to, we were sort of introduced through a friend, basically a friend of a friend, introduced me to. One of the, um, I think it was actually sort of Thierry that we spoke to to first, and and some of his team. We said, look, we're and this guy said, look, you should go and talk to talk to them. Maybe they'll be interested in putting a small amount of money in. You know, they're in sport. They they'll like the, the sports element of this proposition. And we chatted to the players, and and uh, was starting off with Thierry and Sesk, and they they loved the what we were doing. They you know, Thierry had actually been spending. He was what um, at he was in the US playing for Red Bull at the time. He said, look, I really follow so much of my you know Premier League, you know European football one. Uh, on social now because it's the only way I can get access to the content. I think this is really interesting, really exciting. We'd love to be a part of it. And of course, you know, we said like additionally, we can help you know grow your profile in the in the sporting context and in the football context. So, and so that it really sort of grew from there. We we spoke to to Cesc and Thierry. We then got introduced to to Robin Van Persie and also to Tony Parker. They of course all, all know each other, which helps. And at that point, they said, right, we're we're willing to take uh, your entire uh, entire seed round, invest. More money into the business, and for us, it was a it was a no brainer. Really, it was a we got the money that we needed. Uh, we got the support of some fantastic, you know, football soccer stars and an NBA player, and, and built our profile in sport. And so, it was great. Uh, we got going, and that was the, the start of the business. And that was uh, it was not something that they'd done much, if anything, else actually before, but were really you know, supportive investors and have been with the company ever since. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that whether they'd invested in other businesses before have you had follow-on funding rounds with them or was the initial funding sufficient to to keep you going yeah so i mean i think our discussion with them was that like, we want to take 
if you can fund our seed round, then from there, we, know, we don't think we necessarily need any you know, any further money from from the footballers. And we actually wanted to bring in, we subsequently brought in some other strategic investors on an individual basis into um, into our business. Um, people like Ollie Slipper, who's the founder of Perform now, that his own group. Jorg Mohau, uh, who uh, is a, an investor in, we ran the TMC portfolio for Access Industries, so it's an owner of Perform and Warner Media, an investor in Snapchat, Spotify. Nicole Junkerman, who was uh, and uh, we used to work and sort of run in front, um, and uh, Andrew Croak also involved in Perform. So we brought in some people who had more sort of sports tech experience on an individual basis, which you'd always plan to do. But for for the footballers, they they gave us the the runway to start the business and give you know, our, our sort of first year to eighteen months of money, which was which was great. And how influential have those investors been in Grabio's ability to go out and win deals and scale the business? I think that you know, we're building a technology company it's not just a sports technology company it's a, it's a video technology company we didn't sort of go into wanting money from from a set of sports stars because we thought it would build profile it just it just fitted really well with our with our model but if you're going to build a great business you have to build a great company and any amount of profile from any single individual probably isn't going to necessarily help you to do that particularly when you're a b2b business we're not a b2c company it was quite unusual to take sort of athlete money for a business which isn't going B2C. It's, there's a very obvious fit, obviously, for a B2C business where the athlete gives you profile, it gives you audience, gives you reach on social media, and it gives you customers. For us, it gave us definitely gave us some exposure uh, and, and some support and profile in the sports industry, which is great. But ultimately, we're selling a technology service to, to broadcasters, to publishers, to rights holders. The, the support of a, a, you know, a, some sports stars isn't going to get you to win that business. You have to provide a great technology solution, great service, you know, great products. And so that was really where we focused our attention. You know, the profile was great and we appreciate it. And they, they did a wonderful job and they've been great investors, but it wasn't going to be the be all and end all of our business in a way that maybe a, you know, a, a B2C business may get some more direct customer benefit from that type of investment. Are they active in the business or are they fairly passive and hands-off? Especially now, you know, our business has been going for, you know, for six, more than six years now. They know that we're building a great company and our numbers have been good we're growing very effectively you know we just obviously we came out this this week as one of the top you know in the top top 100 fastest growing companies in the in the uk so like we're, we're building a good company and they trust us to continue to do that if we need their support or their their, their input then we, we can go and ask for it but i would say they probably were more involved in the in the early years because the, the business was at its a very nascent stage but at the same time we had to be able to go on and run the business ourselves and build a build a proper company and that was always the intent have vcs also approached you have you had to turn them down like any good business good startup you're going to have lots of conversations with institutional investors of, of different types through through the course of that journey we you know, we've had lots of conversations with with vcs we've never actually taken any uh, any institutional money as a choice but it doesn't mean that that we wouldn't necessarily do that in the future or we've it doesn't mean we haven't had conversations about it um, in the past but it's uh, our philosophy, myself and Will, when we sell the business, is we wanted to go out and build a UK-based, fast-growing, profitable technology company. I don't think there's... It's funny because sometimes I'll say that, and it seems an obvious thing to say, but actually in many cases, it's not so obvious and it's not always that that easy. But that was, you know, we're... You know, we were starting a business, we were a bit older. I was in my... You know, we were both in our late 30s. We weren't sort of 21. We had a we had some experience of you know other businesses before, some corporate experience. And I said, actually, I think there's a we can actually go and create a really meaningful business, but we don't necessarily have to do it in a, in a traditional way. And if we get the support of the right people, and we've got some great you know investors that will help us to do that. How about your 
commercial goals and the pressures you face, are they different to those of a VC-backed business? Is that part of the attraction of being funded the way you are? I think that any company's aspiration is should be to generate some evidence and profit. You know, you should be here, you should be bringing in, you should be spending less on your on your OPEX line than you bring in your revenue line. That should be at least the intent. I know it's not necessarily always the journey, but I think that should be that should be the end game. And the route the route to get there is going to be different. I think that um a VC backed business needs to be preferably explosively fast, fast growth and in a, be in a really, really big market. We have a business which is in a in a really big market. But we felt that we could get to that fast growth without necessarily needing such capital to do that in the early days. That we could we could be smart about the money that we had in the business. We could we could focus on revenue and focus on revenue growth, and then use use those profits to reinvest in growing the business organically. And that's what we've done. And I think that 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 isn't a route that everyone goes down. It may not it isn't necessarily a route that works for all businesses. There are certain sectors where getting very big, very fast, and owning that market is really important. And that. And significant amounts of VC funding allows you to do that, but it is a, it's a different journey. It's a it's a journey based on funding milestones on certain levels of growth. We managed to retain sort of greater control of our, our destiny by saying, "Well, look, if we can do this ourselves." It's more challenging in the sense that you're not going to have as much money. You're not going to you you can't hire as many people. You can't spend as much on marketing. You can't have as many salespeople. But you have a business which is a real business that you can actually continue to to sit behind it and it's and it's therefore more potentially more sustainable in that way. And I think that's been that was our choice. And there are, as I say, there are definitely pros and cons to that, but we don't regret that. And it doesn't mean in the future that we wouldn't go and raise significant amounts of capital to accelerate our business either. But it just for the first at least four or five years of Gravio's existence, we've um you know, we've been pleased with what we've achieved without needing to do that. And you mentioned last time that you've been able to handle the COVID crisis in a different way, perhaps, than the majority of VC-backed tech businesses. You you didn't have to put staff on furlough or let them go. In fact, you were able to carry on hiring throughout the, the crisis. How much of a factor was, again, the structure of the company and the kind of investment you've got into the company behind your ability to, to keep things nice and steady? I think that being profitable obviously helps and being, being at one level. So <laughs> sure. that definitely meant that we didn't have quite such the burn rate pressure of any some other businesses. Although, of course, you know, any profitable businesses or not, you still need to look at what's the market impact of COVID going to be, what are the, the funding so what are the the revenue challenges or what are the challenges your customers may have in the future. But we're also in a we're lucky that we're in a great sector too. We're in the cloud video sector, actually demand for many of our, our services, our products, particularly our live production products, went up during the start of the COVID period because so many of our customers had to start operating from home. And our platform, you know, sort of the native cloud video platform was designed for exactly that type of scenario. So that was also really helpful. And we benefited from that and sort of focused a lot of our product attention around around that too. I think that because we've been really sensible in the way that we built the business, we've been a bit more careful, which is probably, as I say, it's made some things, some things easier, some things harder. We had a really good, solid team so we sort of we you know we we saw some headwinds at the start of the year, or we or we would sort of look forward, and you could see there was you know potentially some challenges. Obviously, the COVID situation didn't really everyone thinks sort of started in March, it didn't really start in March. You could see stuff happening in China and other places before that. You could see there were going to potentially be some challenges. So we just you know we were sensible about limiting our sort of expansion in the start of the year in terms of team, retaining that team through the period, and then as we saw continued growth in the business sort of um, beginning to then add to that and hire people as we have done over the past two months and that that continues now we're still extending extending the team so i think that 
you know, one of the challenges I would say, if, and this is a fair comment, one of the challenges of taking a lot of VC money is that you are, and rightly so, encouraged to grow very fast. And you, that means you need to make big investments in, in expansion in people, in marketing, in sales, and, and you should bring in the revenue line to support that. And that's the right model for a VC-backed business. But of course, the the on the flip side is if, if that's great in a great market, obviously in a, in a difficult market, then the reverse is true. You get accelerating factors on the other side. If you that your if your burn rate is very is very fierce and you're a bit worried about longer term growth, then you're going to have to address that. And and that's what many you know many businesses have had to do. Now, how does Grabio's solution contribute to the society that we're living in, you know, scarred by the pandemic? Lockdowns, riots, climate change. Uh, I would like. I hope that we can make a positive contribution in a number of ways. I mean, at a, at a, if I walk through some of those scenarios at a product level, you know, we are building a a video production product that doesn't require people to get on planes and fly to venues or be in places to 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 deliver it. So that has huge sustainability and uh, environmental positive environmental impacts. You know, lowering carbon footprint for video producers, production companies is a core part of our product. We can run productions in Gravio live events as we've done with you know, EA Sports over the summer entirely in the cloud at home. That means that people aren't getting in cars, getting on planes, putting kits onto planes to, to get to these events. That's a, that has a significant positive environmental uh, impact and it definitely lowers the carbon footprint of our, of our customers. So that's, a, that's an obvious one. There are some Related to that, of course, you know, being able to work from anywhere, you know, using you know, just the laptop and some equipment to create, create video, create television, also means that you've got some some flexibility in a COVID-type environment, whether it's in lockdown or whether it's periods of you know, people being concerned about traveling into an office or a certain city or having to move location. Again, we're starting to provide access to tools, to content, wherever you are, whether that's in sitting at home and assuming that you've got a decent laptop and a good internet connection, you can you can use Gravio and you can access all your video content as you would do sitting in a venue or facility or production room. And of course, from a from a pure product standpoint, there's lots for us to do. There's there's many things that we need to build and we'll continue to build to get there. But that's a that's a big change because those things in the past were very much fixed to big physical locations, big studios, or to being so in a sports context, being being on site, being in the venue. And I don't think that's totally going to change. Not immediately, but being able to prove to to the industry that you can actually do many of these things without having to be on site and be in a venue is a is a big shift, and that has that has positive benefits for the environment, and positive benefits for people as well. It means that they they can have a a more flexible lifestyle. It means you can access talent from different places because they don't necessarily all have to be in a certain location or a certain country, and it means that you can start to create different types of content, which is probably the most exciting thing of all. And what are your thoughts on the TikTok? Saga. Are we heading towards a world of two internets and two content infrastructures? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I've got I've probably got mixed views on this. I think that there's at one level, it's clear that the you know operating as a technology business in China is is challenging, and there are there are difficulties for for any non Chinese business to be operating in that market. And you know, we know that from our, our own experience of, you know, look, as we start to sort of set up some of Gravio services in that market and look at that, there are there are certain things that you need to do that aren't necessarily true when you go to try and operate in, in Latin America or, or United States or, or other places. On the flip side, you have to encourage product innovation and competition. I think TikTok is a wonderful product. I think they built some amazing technology capability it's a real mobile first video product it's a it's a brilliant experience it's a lot of fun it's obviously got a fantastic recommendations algorithm sitting behind it so 
from a pure product standpoint, I think it's a wonderful product. And I think it's, it will be incredibly successful and it will continue to be. And I think there'll be lots of sports brands, entertainment brands, music, you know, artists, athletes who, who get onto that platform and are really successful. The, then there's the, the piece in the middle around, around data security, around access control that are, that are challenges ultimately for, for a number of social networks. And I think that that's some of that stuff we just don't necessarily know what the answers are but there you know there are there have been challenges obviously on you know on instagram twitter other platforms around you know different types of inappropriate content or you know things which are you know which are trending or issues with people's sort of self-awareness or, or um issues around performing and beliefs in yourself in terms of uh, appearance etc which have been a challenge and we know that particularly for you know some younger people teenage girls etc so those things are do need to be addressed i think that's necessarily just a tiktok problem it's a it's a broader social media problem and i don't i think that it, it i'm really torn because i know there are some huge benefits to social media there's some amazing i think it's a i think there's amazing things that these the social platforms have done you, know, you look at twitter now as a news platform it is the de facto place to go and find out about breaking news and it's you know the, the news will break on twitter first and i think that's incredible it's incredible in terms of access in terms of the ability of people to communicate, but there are some downsides too. There are some downsides in terms of misinformation traveling much more rapidly across across platforms and to people in a way that wasn't possible before. So I don't necessarily have the answers to those, but I, I, I think that there are huge benefits to social media and social platforms, but there, are, there is definitely more that needs to be done to look at the spread of misinformation and work out what can, what can we do to try and you know, restrict that. And some of the very simple things you know, we've seen happen already. I mean, the, when when Facebook talked about stopping forwarding of information on WhatsApp, a really simple and easy example of actually res- to, to put in a product fix to change one of those issues. So if you stop you know, things being shared too easily and too quickly or put some levels of restriction around that, it will stop this um, you know, bad actors getting into these platforms and starting to participate, which is always going to happen if, if people see you know, we, we've never had a, 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 an experience in the in the world before where we've had a you know a single platform that can access two billion people, and this is this is all very new for the world to deal with. What are the other key trends driving media and content, uh, and what are the implications for software and SaaS vendors who are supplying solutions into this sector? I mean, we operate in the in the video space, so I'm probably best best place to talk about video and so i think that the when you look at the video market obviously that includes everything from tiktok videos and, and social videos on facebook and youtube right through to linear television and traditional pay tv and the one thing that is really clear is that the the the, the structure of the existing tv market is going to change dramatically over the next decade you know we already are seeing this with the growth of the streaming platforms we're seeing it with the growth of Social media platforms like YouTube, like Facebook, which are continue to accelerate growth. They continue to evolve and actually touch other parts of our sort of consumption world. So, i.e., you know, lots of people watch YouTube on television now. You know, it's a it's one of the fastest growing platforms for YouTube is actually watching stuff on TV. So, this idea that YouTube is a you know is a social video platform where you watch cat videos on your phone is a very you know, it's a very outdated concept of what YouTube is as a platform. So, I think that the and this is really being driven by consumption patterns and, and demographic trends you've got you know you've got a world where kids are growing up with no understanding of traditional television they they access content on a mix of devices you know primarily phones and ipads but also tv but this concept that you go to a channel to watch something at a time that is chosen for you is a is a concept that most children 
certainly under the age of 10, probably under the age of 15, do not understand. They don't understand what it is. They don't, they have no concept of the idea that there is a, a model of consumption, which is based on time, which is chosen by somebody else. So it's, just, it's not a concept that they're going to understand. And so they're going to grow up with that, with that model of consumption. You go to a device or a platform and you'd either look for something that you want to watch at that time, or you get served something that is like a TikTok experience, which is then sort of served to you based on your preferences. And that's a very different sort of behavioral model when you compare it to traditional TV. Live is interesting, you know, live sport, you know, live news, live music. That's the one thing that sort of counterbalances that. You know, if you want to watch the World Cup final live or the Olympics or the 100 meters uh, final at the Olympics, you have to watch it live. You have to be able to be there at that time. That is, that is and that's why those things are still important. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to sit down in front of a 60-inch television screen in the corner of your living room to do that. And that's the other piece that is changing. And I think the smart media companies, the smart you know, broadcasters, you know, have started to recognize that. They know that it's changing. But it is different, difficult to change business models. And I think we're only scratching the surface in what's going to come in terms of streaming, not just in terms of business model and content and access, but also just in terms of the actual experience. You know, at the moment, most of what we've seen in, in streaming is just particularly, let's say, live and sport, is just sort of moving over what we've done in TV into a, uh, into a digital environment, making it accessible, making it accessible on your phone or your, or your iPad or your smart TV. What's going to come is completely new, different formats of programming. We're seeing bits of this on Twitch now with what they're doing with, say, the NFL or the NBA, these different kind of content experiences. And we've also seen it, I think, in sort of dra- in drama too. You look, one of the really interesting things around Netflix is, is obviously the idea of binge watching. Everyone talks about, but one of the other impacts of binge watching is just creating new story arcs for you know for media. You've got these long story arcs across multiple shows, which are much more difficult to do in a normal TV environment than people watch one hour a week. If you watch three or four hours at a time, those things make more sense. So, I think this is the it's a fascinating time to be involved in in video. You know what it means from a vendor perspective. Obviously, that has you can break down lots of things in that market. It's going to change the way that production works. It's going to need to be more flexible. You're going to need to think about different types of devices. Things are going to need to happen more quickly because people want access to information more quickly, more flexibly. And you're going to be serving that that content across a whole range of devices and formats, whether it's vertical video like TikTok on a mobile phone through to you know high quality 4K widescreen 16 by 9 video on your big LED screen on your television you know, in your in your living room and you need to be able to cater for all of those platforms and all of those audiences so production needs to be more flexible and faster and probably lower cost and then on the consumption side everything will move towards streaming in some form and, and that's everything from a a short form 15 second uh video on uh, in in a tiktok feed right through up to a three four hour movie on on netflix that you can watch on your tv your laptop your ipad or anything else and you, you'll need to be able to cover all of those different different devices and what's been holding it back in many in many parts of the world has probably been the infrastructure so the networking infrastructure can you get a good quality signal of the internet you know obviously 5g is starting starting to come on stream now which will address some of that so i think these i think these things will accelerate and my view of the the future has always been that um i think that when you actually look you look five years ahead and it seems like a long time but when you look five years back it seems it seems a an eon ago it seems much much further you can't believe so much has changed so i actually think the tv industry is going to change much faster than many people in the industry currently predict and i I can't believe how much has changed in just six months to be honest i found myself watching a lot of youtube which for me historically was just a 
fairly uh, sort of backup kind of uh, medium for me. My son watched lots and lots of content for many years on YouTube. But during the summer, I found myself watching a ton of stuff on YouTube. And yesterday, I cancelled my subscription to Sky. I just don't really see the point of Sky when I have got Amazon, YouTube, uh, Netflix. So um, I get the sense that COVID has actually accelerated some of these trends that you've been talking about. I guess I'm a pretty good example of that. It definitely has. And, and I expect that we're just going to see more flexibility. I think the, the way I'd probably categorize much of what we've seen in the TV industry for, for the last four or five years, it's been, it's been relatively inflexible. There are some benefits to, to the pay TV bundle, the cable bundle, we're getting lots of channels and uh, some of the more premium services are supporting and discounting some of the others. But it has been, it has been quite inflexible. It's been quite one size fits all. It's been certainly focused around the TV screen, not all of the other screens. Most of the digital experiences always, have always sort of felt second rate. Either they were missing features or they're missing services or they were difficult to access or too expensive. And my, you know, my expectation is that the business model will change. We'll see a lot more flexibility and that ultimately will be good for consumers. I think we're in, we're in a tricky transition phase at the moment where we've got a hybrid of a mix of streaming and, and pay TV and, and linear and, and free-to-wear and they're all sort of competing for eyeballs and attention and and dollars ultimately from the consumer. But that is, as we move towards a, a more streaming-led environment, I think we're going to see some of those things settle down. And I think that the consumer will end up doing uh, doing much better out of it. I also think, I think we're going to see a bit of a resurgence in free too. I think I still think free, you know, what is now linear television and ultimately free streaming is also really important. Not everyone has the, the desire or the means to be able to pay for content all of the time. And there's been an enormous focus on paid services, whether it's you know Netflix, Amazon, et cetera, for video, which are great value in many cases, but they still require a subscription on an ongoing basis. And there's still a huge amount of the market that doesn't want to pay for content or doesn't have the means to pay for content. And I think that that's another area where we're going to see greater innovation, greater flexibility, and some new services emerging. And I think that's great for, again, it's great for consumers, whether it's watching different types of sport you wouldn't normally get access to or different types of content that you couldn't normally see. I think that that's, it's, been a bit, it's been a bit forgotten in the last few years, and I, I do expect that to grow more rapidly as we look forward. And what about the future for Grabio? What are your aspirations for the next three to four years? Well, we launched our, our business in the US 18 months ago and our, and our uh, business in, in APAC in Singapore last year. So continuing to expand our inter- international operations is really important. I think from a from a product standpoint, as we talked about earlier, this we're building out these these live production tools in the cloud. I think that's probably the most uh, one of the most exciting things from a, from a product perspective, just because the scope of that market is so big. You know, you, you, people creating live video, live TV, everything from a you know a YouTuber or an esports you know gamer in their bedroom, right through to you know a broadcaster like a BT Sport or a Univision. Uh, I mean, a media corp in Singapore, that we have the tools to be able to support all of them in some form. And that's that's really, really genuinely exciting. At a time where, as you talked about earlier, you know, COVID accelerating trends, we've definitely seen that in the in the production industry, this trend towards remote production, cloud production, something that lots of people talked about, and it was on their roadmap. And, and broadcasters were saying, yeah, we know this is important. We don't want to fly people around the world as much. We know their cost benefits. This has really accelerated that trend. Uh, which is fantastic for our business, uh, but it, it will also create more competition too, as as you'd expect. So I'm sure things will get harder, but you know you know that where you have competition, the market's getting better. So um, we welcome that. And in the end, um, we, we always talk to my team about strategy and say you just have to 
you just have to jump in the river and swim downstream and find the biggest river you can. So I'm pretty certain that that the river we're in around around cloud and video and streaming is is going to only get bigger. So I'm pretty excited about what comes next. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Gareth, for joining me on today's show. I'm sure you and your team are going to swim powerfully forward over the next few years. And thank you for painting a picture of the future of the of the media and well, the, the content and video industry. Thank you, Gary. It's been great to talk to you. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.